Hello, everybody. My name is Zoe Frenchman, and I sincerely apologize for my lack of podcast uploads recently. I just wanted to start with that. I am genuinely sorry for my slacking recently, but I started working at Target recently, as you know, and just the transition to start working again has been really kind of hard for me. And I've been really stressed out and I've been really depressed recently, but I'm going to try to start writing more and doing more podcast episodes and videos and whatnot to try to get myself out of this funk I'm in. But I just wanted to start with just kind of apologizing for my slacking recently, but you know, things happen in people's lives and you know, people need breaks sometimes. So that's my only excuse for that. But anyway... So this episode is actually going to be focused on a Folklore by Taylor Swift album review. So I decided I wanted to do some in-depth album reviews, starting with my all-time favorite album, Folklore by Taylor Swift. And I just wrote this up really quickly, and I wanted to just make an episode about just diving in-depth to Folklore and my opinions about it, and make a whole episode about that for you guys. And I hope you guys enjoy it. If you guys like this album, if you guys like Taylor Swift, then you'll definitely enjoy this episode. So let's get started. So yeah, if you know me in the slightest, you know that I am obsessed with Taylor Swift. I stream her music every single day. I can probably think of something relating to her or her lyrics in almost any conversation. And my favorite album of all time by anyone is Folklore by Taylor Swift. And This masterpiece of an album has no skips for me, ever. It was a total genre shift for her, and she totally aced it. And this album allowed Taylor to achieve her third Grammy for Album of the Year, making her the only female artist to achieve that award three times, not to mention for all different genres. The first was for Fearless in 2008, which is country, country pop kind of genre. The second was 1989, which is pop, synth pop kind of genre. And the third was for folklore, which is indie folk alternative kind of genre. And she is one of the only four artists to win Album of the Year three times. The other three are music legends, Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, and Paul Simon. So she's the only woman to achieve this milestone. And she's currently only 33 years old. And folklore is what got her the third win. And Taylor Taylor Swift released her self-titled debut album in 2006 at the age of 16. And here we are, 10 albums and two re-recorded albums and another one coming soon. And 17 years later, and her success has only managed to continue to increase. But let's focus on folklore as an album and, you know, why I love it so much and, you know, dive in depth to each song. So... Taylor released this album in 2020 as a surprise album during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and released its sister album Evermore four months later. And it includes mainly fictional stories, sometimes stemming from her own experiences. And Folklore's story involves a love triangle between three characters, James, his girlfriend Betty, and an unnamed girl who James cheats with and with another character named Inez involved in the story and Inez is a classmate of James and Betty who informs Betty of James's infidelity and James, Inez, and Betty happen to be named after the daughters of Taylor's close friends Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. Basically James is a 17 year old guy who cheats on his girlfriend Betty with another girl during the month of August. 
The three songs focused on this affair, this love triangle, are Cardigan from the point of view of Betty many years later, August from the point of view of the girl James was having the fling with during the month of August, and Betty, which is from the point of view of James hoping to win Betty back. And the album starts with the track The One. This song is kind of the perfect opening track, and it ultimately tells the story of a failed relationship, and the narrator is reflecting on a relationship that has ended, and while they've moved on in many ways, there are still plenty of entities that remind them of this relationship and of that person. And like the entire album, the lyrics are incredibly poetic and, you know, they truly showcase what an excellent storyteller and songwriter Taylor Swift is. And the next song on the album is Cardigan. And as I mentioned, this song is from a point of view of the fiction, fictional character Betty, who is reflecting on her relationship with James and his affair. And there are also many lyrical references to the song Betty, which is the 14th track on the album such as Walking on Cobblestones and The Cardigan itself is mentioned. Like many of the album's tracks, Cardigan explores the convoluted feelings of young people in regard to love, relationships, moving on, that kind of stuff. The narrator Betty feels betrayed. She feels blindsided and deeply hurt by what James did to her. And this tune is somber and it includes some of her most poetic, eloquent, and deep lyrics. And the next song on the album is The Last Great American Dynasty. And this song tells the story of Rebecca Harkness. And Taylor draws parallels from her own life to Rebecca's. And Rebecca Harkness was a socialite who married Bill Harkness, the heir to the Standard Oil name. And he died shortly after they got married. And her life was highly publicized, like Taylor's. And Taylor acquired Rebecca's former home in Rhode Island, frequently called The Holiday House, which is re referenced in the song as well. And the song begins with telling the story of Rebecca's highly publicized life and, you know, takes you through a journey of her life. And at the end of the bridge, Taylor explains that she acquired Rebecca's former home and Taylor's life has had many similarities to what Rebecca's life was like. It's an upbeat, cohesive, and brilliantly written song. And the fourth track on the album is Exile, which features Bon Iver. This song is a duet between Justin Vernon, who is Bon Iver, and Taylor Swift, telling a story of a relationship that fell apart from the contrasting perspectives of the man and the woman in this past relationship. The song is powerful, it's ethereal, the harmonies between them are beautiful, and the back and forth between the two perspectives is very intense, it's emotional, and it's dynamic. And the fifth track on this album is My Tears Ricochet. And Taylor notoriously makes the fifth tracks of each of her albums the most personal or emotional, heart-wrenching track. And My Tears Ricochet is no exception to that rule. The song is incredibly emotional, poignant. The lyrics are beautifully poetic. This song was written solely by Taylor, and she wrote it about her master's dispute with Scott Borchetta. And Taylor and Scott had a close working relationship for many years, and she was signed to his record label until 2019. In 2019, Scooter Braun, the label's new odor, owner, so I just called him an odor. That was totally not intentional, but I'm not mad about it. Um, whatever. The, label, the label's new owner sold the masters of Taylor's first six albums, causing her 
to re-record them all so that she'd own them. So she's released two re-recorded albums so far, including Vault Tracks, which are Fearless Taylor's version and Red Taylor's version, and Speak Now Taylor's version is coming in July of this year. And essentially, Taylor and Scott's professional and personal relationship of 15 years ended in a public, messy, disloyal manner, and Scott harshly betrayed Taylor, and that betrayal was the inspiration for this song. And its lyrics ultimately tell a story through the lens of a relationship that ended in a brutal way and how the woman who was betrayed will always, in some way, indirectly or directly, haunt the man who betrayed her. And the sixth track of the album is Mirrorball. Mirrorball is essentially a long metaphor for isolation and fragility. And, you know, she says lines like, I'll show you every version of yourself tonight. When I break, it's in a million pieces. I can change everything about me to fit in. And the entire bridge of the song, really. Like, Taylor is depicting such visceral emotions of loneliness and sensitivity. And it's one of my favorite songs of all time, and I can relate to the message of it a lot. Um, the seventh track is appropriately called Seven. And Seven is an ethereal and more personal track on the album. Many of the lyrics are reflective of Ch of Taylor's childhood and her past naivete. It tells the heartbreaking story of a friend of Taylor's whom she was friends with around the age of seven being abused by her parents and young Taylor's inability to fully comprehend or do anything about the situation. The song is a gut punch lyrically and the ethereal production along with Taylor's lustful, whimsical, emotional vocals add to the depth and the beauty of this song. And the eighth track on the album is called August, one of, one of the songs on the Teenage Love Triangle song Trinity. Um, August tells the story of the fictional character James cheating on his girlfriend Betty with another girl throughout the month of August, and this girl was actually never given a name, but Taylor has referred to her as Augusta or Augustine. And this song is from the point of view of Augustine, in which she discusses their summer fling. While it's unclear whether or not she was aware that James was in a relationship with Betty during their fling, the lyrics imply that she kind of knew James wasn't serious about their relationship, but she maintained hope anyway about it. And their relationship involved a lot of sneaking around and, you know, Augustine canceling her plans for the mere chance that James would call her. And, you know, the lyrics tell an amazing, relatable story. And the production is more pop-like than the other songs on this album, but it was kind of fitting for the story. And August has become a fan favorite as well. And the ninth track on the album is titled This Is Me Trying. And the song is so eloquently poignant, emotional, personal, relatable, deep. And she uses a lot of figurative language in the lyrics to depict how hard she tries in everything that she does, but she never really feels like it's good enough. In fact, I feel like the chorus, I just wanted you to know that this is me trying, is one of the only literal lyrics in the song. And I believe that that's intentional. And the melancholic production matches the lyricism perfectly as well. The song discusses the theme of every aspect of her life being highly scrutinized. And it's been that way since she was a teenager. And she works extremely hard as an artist. She's always been devoted to her craft, her songwriting. And she's inherently 
always had to work harder as a woman. And she's aware of how famous she is, but she's still a human being with normal human being emotions, including being overwhelmed by constant criticism and her privacy being, you know, constantly invaded. And this song touches on those themes in the most poised, poetic way, but what else would you expect from Taylor Swift? Let's be real here. And the 10th album, I mean, not the 10th album, the 10th track on the album is Illicit Affairs. The song is essentially the story of an affair, although it's kind of unclear whether either person a part of this affair was in a relationship with another person during this affair. But coming from the perspective of the people a part of the affair, the narrator or narrators compare their feelings about this affair to a dwindling mercurial high. They're essentially addicted to the thrill of the affair, but you know, crash after each time it happens like a drug. They're aware of their self-destruction and continuing this affair, but this high is preventing them from putting it to an end. Throughout the song, the listeners can hear their relationship deteriorate, starting with nice hotel rooms, flowers, candy, and shifting to grungy motels and cars and parking lots. And during the bridge, the narrator is unleashing her true unfiltered feelings to the man she's having the affair with and putting an end to it. She's clearly still addicted to the exhilaration of this affair, but she knows she's just destroying her vitality more the more that she continues with it. It's, you know, kind of a messy, chaotic song lyrically, but that's the point. It's supposed to be like that. And the song is still outstandingly cohesive and powerful. And the 11th song on the album is Invisible String. This song is about Taylor's relationship with her now ex-boyfriend, Joe Alwyn. The song is beautiful in its simplicity, and like all the other songs in this album, and in her discography for that matter, she's able to articulately tell a story through engaging music and catchy music. And the lyrics in this song represent a lot of personal growth in Taylor, and she seems to be much more focused on staying in the present and moving forward than dwelling on the past. And this song as a whole is top tier from intentionally simple, from the intentionally simple production to the eloquent artistic lyrics to the theme of how genuine love can shift your whole mindset. And the 12th track of the album is Mad Woman. This song is essentially about the sexist taboo in regard to female anger. And Taylor was inspired to write this song following the map like her master's controversy with her former record label. And the lyrics depict themes of gaslighting and the skewed public perception of female rage. In my opinion, many people, especially men, and even more especially men in a position of power, like to label women in general who are right, rightfully angry about something and decide to defend themselves assertively as, you know, they're crazy, they're unstable. And in this song, Taylor addresses that subject, that, you know, perception through telling the story of an old widow see seeking revenge on her town that cast her out. And its ominous vibe, its metaphorical lyricism, and its poignant message make it a powerful track that's very fitting for this album. And the 13th track on the album is Epiphany. This song is very mellow production-wise, and the pacing is slow, and that's on purpose. The song touches on themes of that were prominent during the COVID-19 pandemic, like 
doctors and nurses enduring daily trauma as a part of their jobs and all the unfortunate protocols during the pandemic. Taylor was initially initially inspired to write the song while thinking about her veteran grandfather, Dean, and how he never discussed his war experiences with anyone ever. Not, not no one that he was even the closest to he would ever discuss that stuff with. And Taylor wrote this song about that kind of trauma, you know, the kind of trauma that you just can't discuss with anyone at any time because it's just too painful to relive it. And the lyrics are extremely poetic and the vibe is very somber and it's heart-wrenching and it's personal and I think a lot of people can relate to this song. The 14th track on the album is Betty, the third song a part of the teenage love triangle. This song is from the point of view of James, Betty's boyfriend who cheated on her during the month of August. And this song is very folky in its production, especially with its use of the harmonica. And the song's lyrics tell the story of James admitting his regret for cheating on Betty and confirming that the rumors that Betty heard from their classmate Inez, who's usually known for spreading untrue rumors, are actually true, but he misses Betty and he always thought about her even when he was with the other girl in August. And he plans to show up at her party to win her back, and she does take him back. And the song makes references to the other two songs in the Teenage Love Triangle song Trinity, such as the Cobblestones and Cardigan mentioned, which are references to the song Cardigan, like I mentioned earlier. And James clearly feels bad for cheating, but as he admits, I'm only 17, I don't know anything. And one can tell that James partially blames Betty for his own actions, e.g. plus I saw you dance with him. So James abandoned Betty during a school dance or something while her favorite song was playing because he hates the crowds. He just left her there alone while she was expecting him to show up, but he didn't show up, so she decided to dance with another guy, and he decided that that was justification to cheat on her for a whole month while leading on this other girl and disregarding her feelings too. And then he just decides he's going to show up at Betty's party to get her back because he misses her, ignoring the fact that he seems to be a pretty absent boyfriend to begin with, as well as a cheater, and she just kind of takes him back without thinking about it, really. And if you can't tell, I kind of hate the James character. And while I think Betty is kind of naive and kind of self-destructive for absentmindedly taking him back after all that he did, they are teenagers in high school and that stuff does happen. And they're all really young when it happens. And as we hear in Cardigan, Betty's perspective many years later... Betty does later realize that while James was her first love, he was also her first terrible heartbreak, and these kinds of relationships in one's youth leave indelible marks and memories that never really cease to linger. And there were moments of powerful lust and love in their relationship, but there were also moments of bitter tension, and eventually it ended with an excruciating conclusion. And the 15th track of the album is called Peace. This song is probably one of the most autobiographical on the album. The song's production style is lo-fi and soft, and the song's lyrics discuss Taylor's experiences with attempting to maintain some sense of privacy in her relationship while being a very public figure whose personal life is oddly enamoring to many people. She discusses the complexity of the general concept of peace and how with her being Taylor Swift, she can probably never promise genuine tranquility to any partner. 
and she clearly hopes for her relationship to last despite these obstacles, you know, through genuine love and commitment. But she's also acknowledging that there is no guarantee that being with her can ever really be peaceful or fully private merely because of her social status. And it's poetic lyricism, it's narrative tone, and the peaceful sound of the of the production in contrast to the lyrics portraying a lack of peace is nothing short of genius. And the 16th track and the final track on the standard edition of the album is called Hoax. And this song is about a relationship that the narrator knows is inevitably doomed, but there's something that keeps her attached to the relationship. She's been deeply hurt, traumatized, and betrayed by this other person, but she still has love for him. And your faithless, your faithless love's the only hoax I believe in, is the chorus. And the narrator is clearly aware of the disingenuous nature of her relationship, and it's inevitably catastrophic conclusion but she chooses to continue as someone and as someone who's done this myself in the past i believe it's you know that sense of familiarity with this relationship that brings her comfort despite the relationship being toxic unhealthy and the end of it causing her long-standing pain doubt and remorse it's a soft piano ballad with an emotional conclusion to the album and, you know, Taylor's drawing themes from her personal experiences, which makes it more emotional. And the 17th track of the album, which is the bonus track included in the deluxe edition of the album, is called The Lakes Bonus Track. And The Lakes Bonus Track is an incredibly poetic and romantic song that refers to the UK's Lake District. Hundreds of years ago, a bunch of English poets would go there to seclude themselves and just write because they wanted to escape. And Taylor explained that this song's theme is really kind of the overarching theme of the album, which is ultimately escapism and the complexity of isolation. And Joe Alwyn, Taylor's boyfriend at the time, um, is also from the UK's Lake District and is also considered to be one of the most romantic places in the UK. And she discusses her fears of not belonging and her desire to escape, as these poets did years ago, as well as the residual effects that her public prominence has had on Joe. And it's an incredibly creative, poetic, ethereal, personal song. Its theme is timeless, and, and this song, as well as the whole album, I believe will maintain longevity for its realism and its poetic lyricism. And all in all... Folklore by Taylor Swift is a musical masterpiece, to say the least. The album was a complete surprise during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it was a total genre shift for Taylor again. <laughs> and she began her career in country music, which worked for her. She ventured into pop, which also worked for her. And then she ventured into this indie folk alternative genre with this album, which also very much worked for her. So she's established herself as an incredibly talented, dedicated, versatile artist and songwriter with rapidly growing success. Even after being in the music industry for 17 years now, she's always getting bigger. And Folklore was definitely a culturally impactful album, in my opinion, and demonstrated Taylor's talent in a different way than we'd seen before. And I look forward to more songs and albums like this. I love the genre and I will do 
my next review, my next album review is going to be on Evermore, which is Folklore's sister album, which was released only four months after Folklore as another surprise album during the pandemic. And those are my top two favorite albums of hers and of all time by anyone. And Taylor Swift may make some seemingly questionable personal choices, Maddie Healy, but I don't think anyone can deny her artistic talent and dedication, even if you don't personally listen to her music. And with that, I conclude this review of Folklore by Taylor Swift, an album full of mystery, poetry, love, heartbreak, nature, convolution, narrative stories, fictional stories, depictions of harsh realities in the most artistic and touching ways possible, and groundbreaking songwriting by Taylor Swift herself. So yeah, that's going to be it for this episode of Ebbs and Flows with Zoe Frenchman. I really hope you guys enjoyed this new um, album review episode kind of thing. And if you guys want more album reviews, let me know. I plan on doing them anyway. I don't care if you want it or not. I'm just kidding. Um, I care about your opinion deeply, guys. Don't worry. But I I still kind of want to do it anyway, just because I, I enjoyed writing this and recording it. So yeah, I hope you guys liked it. I really, if you guys haven't listened to Folklore by Taylor Swift, go do that now. It's a very, very good album. If you guys couldn't tell, I love it so much. Um, And, you know, leave me suggestions for other albums to review. And yeah, make sure you guys check out all my other episodes on here. Make sure you guys check out my memoir, Battles on the Borderline, my poetry book, and erratic anthology of my psychology, which are both on Amazon. Make sure you guys check out my YouTube channel, Zoe Rebecca, all my other socials. My Twitter is Zoe Rebecca F. My Instagram is Zoe R. Frenchman. And my Snapchat is Zoe Frenchman. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you guys share my podcast too. Please share my podcast and check out all my other episodes. So yeah, this is going to be it for this episode of Ebbs and Flows with Zoe Frenchman. And I will talk to you guys on my next episode.